Kentucky's back there all bent out of shape because he was supposed to do announcements today and he showed up on time and we replaced him because he wasn't early. So if, if you need anyone to do announcements today, pick Stucky, okay? <laughs> so um, we are back in Nehemiah today, Nehemiah 2, beginning in verse 9, so make your way over there. <clears throat> and if you've got your Bible, it's not one that's easy to get to, right? Head to the Psalms right in the middle of your Bible and go backwards. You're going past Esther, past Job, and you'll find your, your way to Nehemiah. Uh, we, we tell you that, right? We like you to get the word in front of you uh, as we're preaching through it. So you can look back down. You can see what's going on. So you can see the context. You can flip around if you want to to see other places we might go. Uh, so, so do that. And we're going to be looking at uh, Nehemiah today, right? The, specifically, Nehemiah the man. And, uh, it, you know, look at, he's an example of godly leadership. And, and we're looking at that. And, and yet this doesn't mean that everything that we see in Nehemiah is godly and right and perfect. And, and, and so as we do this, right, we, we need to remember that Nehemiah is not the Christ. Um, like you and I, Nehemiah is a, a sinner whom, whom Christ sacrificed his life on the cross to redeem. And yet the Lord works through and accomplishes his purpose through men and women who have flaws and who have graces. And we're going to see some of that in Nehemiah today. So uh, <clears throat> remember, Nehemiah has a, a role in redemptive history, right? He is this leader through which the Lord is, is rebuilding Jerusalem, the very city where, where our Lord is going to go and, and, and lay down his life as a ransom for many. And so then, uh, just as a quick reminder, right, last week, I'll give you a shorter version than I usually give, but from last week, uh, we saw the, <clears throat> the good hand of the Lord had, had moved the Persian king to send Nehemiah to Jerusalem with this letter of safe passage through the region um, uh, and a letter so that he can get timber later, wood, that's hard to come by. Uh, and, and so that's what we're picking up today in, in verse 9 of Nehemiah 2. So let's, let's read that, it's a little long of a passage today. I don't know why my voice sounds like it's going out, but uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 9. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly and someone had come, uh, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem. And I was there three days. And then I arose in the night, and I and a few, few, men, a few men with me, I, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one I, which I rode. I went out by night the val- by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were were to do the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the, the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we are an easily distracted and often half-hearted. We're just half-hearted in our approach, Lord, to, to the reading and to the preaching of your word. O Lord, enlarge our attention spans this morning. Enlarge them far beyond that of, of goldfish, far beyond a Sesame Street junkie. And, and Lord, grant us focus this morning. Give me joy and, and confidence to, to boldly proclaim the passage you have for us today. Give us hearts ready to receive, to, to learn, to grow today. In the glorious name of Jesus, our glorious Savior, we pray. Amen. And so with letters in hand, Nehemiah travels, protected by this king's army as he goes, uh, the significance of which we looked at last week. Uh, and before Nehemiah even arrives, right, before he even shows up in Jerusalem, he has these two political leaders who are uh, in opposition against him. The first guy's name is Sanballat. His name uh, means sin gives life, which sounds like it could be a, a motto for, you know, current philosophy. Uh, except for sin here doesn't mean it in the way that we understand the word sin as a, a violation of God's law, right? Sin here is actually this Persian word that means moon god. So if you go back, we're, we're now getting a name that means the moon god gives life, and that puts him into a little more perspective. Uh, his family has long served as the governors of Samaria. You might know that's just an area north of Jerusalem by about 20 miles. You might, uh, something like Riley north of here, uh, close to that, uh, it, to put it in some sort of perspective. And, and so uh, the other guy here is uh, Tobiah, uh, Tobiah, Tobiah, the Ammonite. He's the governor of Ammon, Amnon. Can't pronounce anything, can I? The governor of Ammon. Uh, which is a region east of, of Judah. And, and you might notice that his name that sounds like Hebrew, right? It is Hebrew. And it means the Lord is good. And it's this great name, a wonderful name. Um, Tobiah himself, not so great. Uh, his, his religion is, is actually probably very synchristic. It's, uh, it's a mixed religion. It's this, uh, you know, a little Yahweh here, a little moon god there. And we put it all together. It's like fusion food, uh, only religion. And, and, and how do we... How do we see these, these two guys respond to Nehemiah coming into the region with these letters from the king? Look at verse 10. You'll see it there. He says, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Why are they so displeased with this? Now we could speculate and probably to get some good ideas, but the bottom line is this. There are people in every region and every generation uh, who hate God's people. People who make all effort to put a stop to the work of, of God in the world. And, and as we're told in 1 John 3.13, do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. Right? He's, he's experiencing this. We're going to come back, this, back to this idea at the end, though, because we're going to see it in a little more uh, detail when we get to verse 19. So we'll come back there. Uh, for now, I just want you to notice this one thing. What looks terrible, right? Here's this opposition. is actually this wonderful blessing of the Lord for him because here these two guys have identified themselves as enemies. Here they've identified themselves as being against the, the work that he's been sent to do. And, and it's such a blessing because it is so much easier if you, if you actually know who your enemies are. It's, it's far better than a wolf in sheep's clothing, you might say. 
And, and so it is a beautiful blessing in the Lord here. Now, now look at verse 11. Ne- Nehemiah is seeing his beloved Jerusalem for the first time. He's heard about it, he knows about it, and, and finally here he is arriving. You can see it in the distance, and it's getting bigger as he gets closer to it. And, and as he approaches, certainly he can see the terrible destruction that his brother Hanani had, had told him about. You can see it, right, in some, some regard. And, and then we see, right, he's inside the gates, and, and what's he do for the first three days? What do you see there? Nothing. Nothing, right? If you've read the, the book of Ezra, you might know that, uh, that Ezra did the same thing upon arriving Jerusalem. For three days, he, he did nothing. So why, why do they do that? It, it's really not much of a mystery why they do it. Nehemiah has been traveling at a pace of roughly 10 miles per day with all they've got and the, the terrain they would have been going. This would have been a, a four-month trip. Uh, if you know how much you feel exhausted just from driving across the state... Uh, can you imagine this? Four months. Uh, that travel has taken a toll on him. He's showing up and he's absolutely exhausted. And, and, and this is one of those verses, I think, when we're just reading through, through the Bible that we tend to skim by. But, but I want you to see here that Nehemiah's physical need in this moment is, is like so many of our own physical need. He just, he needs rest. He needs time to rest. And he follows this, this model that God has given his people since the creation. Nehemiah works hard. But he also rests well. Is that how you're living your life? I visited my doctor this, this week, and he affirmed to me that pretty much nobody is living their life that way, based on the stories that, that he's telling of people coming in, right? Is, is that the way you live your life, though, right? On, on the one hand, um, do you work hard, right? Not lazy, but do you work hard? And, and on the other half of that is probably the bigger neglect, though, Right? Do, do you rest well or you just keep endlessly working in disobedience thinking, I can go a little further, I can go a little longer, I can go a little more. Raymond Brown points out that physically exhausted people are not likely to achieve as much as they desire. Tiredness robs us of essential perspective, multiplies anxiety, makes new opportunities intolerably burdensome, and it destroys our peace. And what is more, Jesus our Lord, Jesus, God incarnate. He himself rested, and he encouraged his disciples to take time to rest as well. You, you might remember Jesus, remember, sends him out to, to preach the, uh, uh, that the kingdom of God is, is, is here, and he sends him out two by two, and when they come back and, and they're telling all these stories, here's what's going on, and they're probably excited, let's go do more, like we're seeing wonderful things happen, and Jesus tells them in Mark 6.31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. That's what the Lord prescribes for. You who work hard, right? If you are one of those people who work hard, do not neglect to rest. So Nehemiah here rests for three days before doing anything at all. And then while rested, Nehemiah gets to work and he, and he does so in secrecy. Right? Why the secrecy? Well, God has put it in his heart there to rebuild Jerusalem, right? That's something, a work the Lord has done in his heart. And yet, unlike Noah and the ark, right, Lord hasn't told him exactly what to do. He didn't have this list. You're going to need to cut down 40 of those trees and bring them in. You're going to need 15 rocks. None of that kind of thing, right? And so he needs time to really understand what, what, what he needs, what is needed here, right? He needs time to, to, to learn information. He needs time to pray about this. He needs time to seek wisdom about this so that he can formulate a prayer, a plan. And remember, right, Nehemiah still doesn't know who he can trust. Yeah, sure, not the neighboring governors, that's for sure, but he doesn't know who he can trust yet. And so he wants to keep this all under wraps until there is an absolute 
formulated plan which to go out with, right, to, to explain. Um, a plan that will instill confidence in the people. In another sense, he just needs to count the cost. He needs to know what is it going to cost us to actually accomplish this. You might remember Jesus, uh, again, uses that, that as an illustration. Luke 14, 28, Jesus asks, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Right? And our Lord points out there, right? If you, if you don't do that, then later on people are going to say, This man began to build and he was not able to finish. Now, I won't speak for all of Mexico, but on the mission trips I've been on through certain parts of Mexico, one after another is, are these half-built buildings. There's a foundation and some cinder blocks, and then there's, was it rebar? Is that what it's called? Sticking out all over the place. And there's so many of them that I asked about it one time, and I remember being told, well, they, they start building, and then they run out of money. And, in, and I asked that question. Why don't they wait till they have enough? That's just not how they do it here. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're seeing here. So, so he needs to know this plan. And and the way we kind of think about this in our own life, right, is this, that maybe the Holy Spirit has put a desire into your heart, a, a desire of, of some sort, right? Maybe it's someone you believe you should marry. Um, maybe it's a, a career, a career change. Maybe, maybe to move somewhere, to, to run for office, to begin serving in some way, to start a mercy ministry or a gospel ministry of some sort. And, 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 and you know, you, we, we kind of struggle through that. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean, right? Take time to obtain information to seek wisdom from, from brothers and, and sisters in Christ. Take time to pray over these things before you move forward with these things. I think too often we're just quick to jump into anything. Uh, unfortunately, uh, so much of modern life can crowd out the space in our lives that we need for the contemplation, for the prayer, for the planning and these kind of things. Christian, you have got to protect time like that in your life. We just need to. And so here we, we see the Lord expects Nehemiah to exercise his own judgment in, in, in the sense that he understands it, right? And, and he's able to do that confidently because he trusts that the Lord is sovereignly involved in the decisions that he's going to make here. And so what he finds is this small group of guys, right? A group that he can trust and he's going to take that. They're going to probably these guys know the terrain. They can take me out. We're going to go at night. We're going to see what's going on. We're going to observe these things. Now, it's also likely that these guys are, are gifted at construction, and, and, and we say that, right? This is an understanding that we have here because think about what Nehemiah has been up to this point. He's a cupbearer. That's not the construction guy. He's in the, in, the, in the palace of the king. He's not the guy with the hammer outside. He's not been a general contractor, uh, you know, registered in any state at any point, right? And, and, and I'll tell you this. I, I want to be one of those construction guys. I really wish I was. I am not one of those guys. We, we recently needed this, this hole in the back of our our garage so that our, we could close the garage door and the cat could still get in and out. And so I, I go out there and I just freehanded it with a circular saw. Um, it went about as well as you'd think. Uh, saw got away from me at one point. And it's, it's, so it's kind of this, it's, it's more rhombus than it is square. Uh, I'll send you a picture if you want to see it. It's, it's beautiful, except for no one thinks so. Um, and so I've gotten just ridiculed for my construction abilities, especially from my wife every time she sees it. Uh, which, which is why whenever I'm doing some legitimate construction thing on our, our house, I, I seek guys who actually know stuff about construction, right? Uh, Rich Machina helped us convert a, a sunroom into a bedroom, and it's wonderful. If I had done it, we'd need to do it again probably. Uh, I called Craig Klein once when I messed up my garden fence and, and needed someone to come show me how to fix this thing. Or, or Ryan Sear replaced a window and 
I was supposed to help, but I mostly just watched them replace the window. Th those kind of things. Uh, John Fregon has actually helped with a number of projects. I'm sure I'd be electrocuted by not if not, uh, if he'd not helped. Uh, my next project is to cut this big hole between our kitchen and our living room. And I was telling Laura the other day, I was like, I think I can do that. And she's like, no. <laughs> you don't even know if that's a load-bearing wall. And she's right, I have no clue if that's a load-bearing wall. Uh, so anyway, Caleb, you might be next. It is? <laughs> you, you've just walked in my house and you know that. See, this is why Nehemiah had to bring guys with them that know this kind of stuff uh, so they didn't ruin the wall. Uh, so anyway, in the, in the dark of night, Nehemiah tours this and, you know, and observes with knowledgeable men and, and he's able to make this, this wise plan. Now, it lists all these different gates there and we're going to learn about these gates in, in, in two weeks when we get to the section where it talks about them. I know you want to know about this dung gate. What is that about? Um, it's not like Watergate. Uh, it's different. Kind of is like Watergate. Uh, anyway, the, the picture that this Torah paints, this is what you need to know, is, is that the construction they need to do is very, very extensive. There is a lot that needs to be done. Uh, it's so bad that he actually only inspects about half the distance of what existed there. It's about a mile and a half distance that they, if you, if you put all that together, you can kind of piece it together. Uh, and, and that's what he's done. And, and then in, again in verse 16, right, Nehemiah reminds us that, that he hasn't told any of the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials. He hasn't told any of the people, the ones he's going to be asking to do this work. He has not let them know yet. Um, I'd let Caleb know ahead of time. But he doesn't tell anyone here. And, and we have no idea how much time has passed. We don't know if it's a week from the time he observes it and has his plan ready to go. We don't know if it's a day, if it's a month, whatever it is, whatever the case. Uh, look, look what he tells them in verse 17. Right? He's gathered the people together in Jerusalem and he says, you, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now you see the very first thing he does there? Now he's, he's coming from Susa. He's an outsider. He's, he's a, you know, a servant of the king. This is a guy with some clout in, in this Persian empire and he doesn't show up there like from District 1 saying, Look at this mess you guys have made. I'm here to fix it. Here's how we'll do it. Right? It's not that top-down heavy thing. Instead, he, he absolutely identifies himself with, with them here. You, you see it there, right? You see the trouble that we are in, the way he says it, we are in, or let us build the walls? Now, I was studying this yesterday. So, so yesterday, in the midst of uh, Zach Jones's ordination examination or transfer examination, I, I noticed one of the first things he, he said to us when he came in there was, he said, well, our presbytery, before he was even in the presbytery, he is now, but at the beginning of the day, he wasn't. And, and just that association of, like, I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm with you. And, and listen, I, Nehemiah, not Zach either, right? Don't hear that. Uh, Nehemiah, it, it's not manipulation here. That's not what's going on. It's, it's not some marketing thing of, oh, let me manipulate these people, do what I want them to do. Right? No, Nehemiah is genuine, and we know that. You remember how distraught he was way back in those first three verses, when, or the first few verses when he hears about this? And, and he's so, so upset when he hears about Jerusalem. He's weeping, and he's mourning, and he's fasting, and he's praying. He really does consider himself one of them, despite all that distance. He also reminds them of the derision that they have been suffering, right? Here's what he means by that. It's that, you know, the, the others in the region, probably these governors and the people in their land, they, they have looked at Jerusalem. They have looked at this, this holy city, right? Holy in the sense of it has been 
set apart by God. They have looked at that and they said, this is the city of your God? This dumpster fire? Really? I mean, it looks like failure. It looks like weakness. It looks like a city that has no God at all. And, and the Israels feel the weight of that disgrace. They do. I mean, we know what it's like to be mocked, right? To, to be on the outside of something, to, to kind of just be the disgrace of someone. I mean, I mean, think about the kinds of disgrace that we, we try our best to, to avoid in our life, right? I'll just give you one, right? Uh, that, that pressure, you probably feel it more when you're younger than when you're older, but you want people to think that you're cool, right? I don't want you to think I'm uncool. I think, I mean, that's, that's the only explanation I have for, for someone using the phrase, oh, that's bussin' bussin', right? That only makes sense if you're trying to be cool, I think. And, and I, my kids actually told me that's not cool anymore, Dad. Um, I missed it. It was cool a few weeks ago, apparently. And now it's ironic. I'm not even using it that way. I'm just uncool. Uh, anyway, m- more to the point, t- to be honest, just be honest with your own feelings here for a minute. Do, do, you, ever, do you ever feel and have to fight that, that shame of, of being a Christian? Right? Not amongst each other. Not when we're with brothers and sisters, right? But when, 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 when you have that conversation and somehow it leads to the fact that, that you're a Christian or you hold to some Christian value and, and you just see someone's whole demeanor change and they, you know, they look at you like, oh, you're, you're one of them. You, you must be super prude and judgmental. You probably hate gay people, right? They, they think your values are outdated. They, they look at you like, like you believe in the Easter Bunny, like that poor guy, he actually believes in God. Uh, you know, there's that, that sense and, and there's that temptation to feel shame for that. You know, Nehemiah knows that they have been mocked by these outsiders, that they have been derided, and so he, he seeks to inspire them there. That's, that's what we see in verse 18. Look at that. When he says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to him. We know that story. We saw it, what, last week, week before? Uh, that's the story he's telling them. I mean, can you imagine what an encouragement it was for them to, to hear that the same king that has forbidden them to work on these walls, to work on the city, has now just sent Nehemiah to do that? In Psalm 66, the, the psalmist is recounting all these wonderful things that the Lord has done. He's just a testimony of the Lord's greatness and goodness to them, um, delivering them from Egypt. And, and then in verse 16 of Psalm 66, the psalmist gets real personal. And he says, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. Right? Just let me share with you. Why? I mean, the Lord's already done it. Why share it? One, it glorifies God to share it. Two, it encourages God's people to hear that, right? And, and, and keep in mind in Nehemiah's story, this one's great because it's so applicable for us. Nothing that's happened to Nehemiah would fall into that category of miracle, right? There's nothing miraculously going on. Yes, God's at work, but not miraculously, right? The, the Lord gave him a desire to go to Jerusalem. That's pretty ordinary, Right? And the Lord turned the, the, the heart of, of the Persian king to support this work, which is a work of God and amazing, but observing it, you wouldn't be like, wow, that was a miracle, right? All very ordinary, and yet a true work of the Lord. And Nehemiah acknowledges it as such, and he shares it with others. 
And it encourages them. It builds them up for the, the project, the work ahead of them. And, and this is all very important to us, right? Because we need to share more stories like this with each other. I don't think we're looking for the way God's working our life enough. I don't think we're sharing these stories with enough, right? How, how are you seeing the extraordinary work of God in the ordinary events of your life? Are you, are you looking and seeing things and, and seeing, wow, look how God sovereignly worked in that, that moment? Are you sharing these stories with others, with brothers and sisters, because we need these stories. We need to hear these things. I, I was greatly encouraged this week to, to hear about a, a situation where a professor had given zeros, actually two zeros on the same project, uh, uh, two times in a row, right? And, and, and this was distressing to the students, which is why in humility she shared this with her sisters in Christ, and they prayed with her, and you know, since she was going to be speaking to this professor the next day and, and just wasn't sure what to do, there's only one more chance after this. And well, well, the Lord worked in the heart of this professor as the professor called her. And, and unexpectedly, this professor apologized, owned, owned up to the mistakes in the, his, uh, their mistakes in this process and corrected the grade. Did not expect that. It was this amazing thing, and, and this student didn't just leave it at that, but then shared how God had worked in this situation and, and how God has been glorified by that. My own heart has been encouraged by that. I, I know that's true of the others who, who had heard this story at the time. These are the kind of stories we need to be sharing, because, right, just look what God has done. But we hear them all the time, and so often we just give them as information. Truly, Right? I mean, machinists this morning talking about their, their land being sold and being able to find a new place. That's a work of the Lord. Praise the Lord for these things. And, and if we need to start seeing them that way, understanding them away, sharing them that way. And so where have you seen God work in your life lately? Share these stories. Maybe even prompt each other by asking that question, right? Where have you seen the good hand of God in your life lately? Where have you seen it? And here in our, our passage, we, we see how encouraged the people are by Maniah's response. Look how quickly they get on board. Yeah, let's rise up and build. They're excited. They have bought in, into this vision, into this plan. They, they trust Nehemiah, which is their way of expressing trust in the Lord. And their hands have been strengthened for this collective work that lies ahead. It's exciting. It's encouraging, right? Except look at the next thing that happens in verse 19. Right? There's renewed opposition. Isn't life so often like this? Yay! You know? Whenever and wherever the people of God rise up to do the work of God, it will inflame the enemies of God. Again, we don't know much about how much time has passed. Clearly someone has taken this news back to the governors and the surrounding areas. Uh, and now, right, we see them again. They show up, or at least their word shows up, or they show up. Uh, and, and joining Sanballat and Tobia is this guy, Geshem the Arab. Um, he's a pretty powerful leader of the three of them. He's the highest ranking guy there. He's in the south region, a region south of, of Judah. And he's kind of a, a chieftain over these tribes kind of thing. Um, I just said kind of way too many times. Kind of sorry. Uh, anyway, these enemies jeered the Israelites. They, they mocked them. And, and they also make this significant accusation against Nehemiah. You see it there? Are you rebelling against the king? That's the question. And, and this is a very weighted question, the way they're saying this, right? Because they, they really mean it as an accusation. And, and this is the same accusation that, that these guys used against Ezra some, you know, over 10 years earlier than that, uh, that brought an end to the project, project at that time. And so they're thinking, oh, here's another guy 
The city's going to rise up against the king. That's the accusation. So, so that's what's going on. And on the surface, right, this is opposition from these three angry, bitter neighbors. Uh, but under the surface, what we see here is it, it's really, it's a work of the devil, right? It sounds a little weird because we don't see it here, but that's, that's what's going on, right? Resisting this work of God, it, right? Here's a, a manifestation of what we learn in 1 Peter 5.8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour the work of the devil always is to crush the work of the Lord. And listen, if, if God's people at this time do not escape opposition, even, even while in the promised land, even with the good hand of God working for them, why should we think that we ourselves will escape opposition when we are living as God's people, when we are fulfilling the great commission today, when we are seeking to love enemies and share the gospel and, and, and all the things that the Lord has called us to? Our, our Lord Jesus knows we're going to face opposition, right? He has prepared us to face opposition, right? You think back to, to Matthew 5, 11, 12, when Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Not, hey, I got this. There won't be any persecution. I'll stop it. No, blessed are you when you face this persecution, when others revile you. Blessed is Nehemiah and the Israelites in this moment when these guys rise up against them. So I kind of I love verse 20. Look at it, right? Because wouldn't it have just been easy? I, I can't help but think it would have been so much easier when they're like, you know, you're rebelling against the king. That's what this is. If he just said, no. No, I'm not. I'm like, the, I've been with the king. He's my friend, right? We are not rebelling. He's already given us permission. So sit down, right? I mean, that would have been the easier thing, but he doesn't go that direction. He actually kind of goes over the king's head. Not kind of, he absolutely. Instead he says, the, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. That's confidence in the Lord God Almighty. That, that level of confidence we can have also, right, when we, when we trust our souls into the strong and, and gentle hands of our Savior. And so then, I, our, our passage ends with Nehemiah throwing some shade at these hostile leaders. You see it there. He says, you, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. All right, he's, not, he's not building bridges with these particular guys. What's it about? Well, um, Jerusalem is this this holy city, again, right? Holy in the sense of it's set apart for this special purpose, right? And the expectation here is that those who are going to do the work here are, are going to be God's people who have been set apart from all the nations of the world, God's covenant people, right? Just like the church today, as, as God's people, we, we are called to a way of life that is distinctly different, a life that, that Jesus and the New Testament scriptures lay out for us, a way of life that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live. Right? A way of life, of, of sacrifice, of loving enemies, of, of living according to his word, even if, even if people do think we're nuts, even if we do get uh, jeered and such, right? So we can understand that. So finally, if there is one overarching idea that this, this passage is intended to teach us, is that you and I, we, we can and, and we should trust God more than we do. And that's far easier said than lived out. 
but that we, we trust him. We, we trust him in the midst of, of great opposition. No matter what that is, right? Whether it's someone who, who is a, a, against you for your Christian beliefs or someone who is just unjustly, right, giving you two zeros in a row over a paper that clearly was not, um, that you can trust the Lord. And part of that means we, we go to the Lord in prayer. Part of that means we're asking each other for prayer. We trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. You can. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> God of heaven, the Lord of my life, will you put in our hearts a desire for renewal, a desire to grow closer to you, to grow more passionate about your kingdom, about the gospel, about the, the flourishing of your church, the, the flourishing of this covenant community? Oh, oh Lord, give us such trust in you so that the derision of, of the culture, whether directed at us directly or, or just we feel it because it's out there, that it will not find any cracks in our defense. Oh, Holy Spirit, we, we ask for you to strengthen our hands for the good works that you have called us to, so that in your power we might prosper, so that we will rise up, not to fight like the world around us, but rise up to, to build in all the ways that really matter. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.